welcome to the Women's Soccer Coaching Podcast. This is where we take a deep dive into the challenges and opportunities faced by those who coach in the women's game. I'm Steph Fairbairn and I'll introduce our special guest in just a moment. This podcast accompanies the October issue of Women's Soccer Coaching Magazine, which is available to subscribers right now. As well as the usual session plans and practices to inspire you, Nicholas Rizzo of St. Mary's University shares his thoughts on improving 1v1 defending skills in the female game. Leighton Orient women coach Danny Martin talks about taking over a team and making an impact, while Laura Finnegan, PhD, shares some of her research on relative age effect in the female game. Elsewhere, performance nutritionist and grassroots coach Chris Kamari talks about the importance of the recovery of staff members as well as players. Oxford United under-16 assistant coach Ellen Hopkins discusses catching players in rather than out. And presenter and host, director of Level 7 Academy and former player Molly Kamita shares about a powerhouse project supporting female coaches on their UEFA B journeys. Our main interview, though, is with Freya Coombe, head coach at Angel City FC in the NWSL. When she took on the role in 2021, Freya was taking on far more than just a football team. I caught up with her about Angel City's commitments to the community, their incredible fan base, and how she's built their on-field success on a formidable defensive record. Freya, welcome to the Women's Soccer Coaching Podcast. Well, thank you very much. Let's start a bit with with Angel City then. Obviously, it's your your first season, Angel City's first playing season. Give us a bit of an overview, if you can, of what your aims were coming into the project and, and coming into the team. Yeah, I think a big thing in sort of taking up the job and then looking at what we wanted our first year to look like was to fully engage with the community and for also for us to be competitive um, within our first year. I think if you look at the history of expansion teams within the league, they've typically finished, you know, either bottom or in the bottom two. Um, so we wanted to change that this year and we set our sights on making the playoffs um, and also making sure that we were able to to change what the league looked like and what the level and standard within the league looked like in terms of game day experience, in terms of attendance, in terms of some of our initiatives that we were doing off the field so you know in terms of that I think if you look at the attendance of our games over the course of a season if you look at the fan engagement and the feedback that we've had um, some of the revenue that's been generated um, and then also you know our finishing position although we didn't make playoffs as we'd hoped you know I think that we were truly competitive right to the very end and waiting on the last game of the season to see if we could make playoffs I think was, was huge for us. And obviously, you didn't come in with a fully blank slate, but a, a more blank slate, I guess, than going into a more established um, club. What are some of the benefits and challenges of, of coming into that? Yeah, a big thing for us is we, we had an opportunity to completely create the culture um, within the club that we wanted to see within the team and within the players. We had no history um, to work on in terms of, well, you know, we're a losing team or a weird winning team. So we could come in and, and completely create the narrative around that. Um, and I think that's where we were able to really try and push for playoffs this year. Um, but I think some of the challenges, you know, in the same vein is that you come into a 
come into a club and there is no process or there's not even, you know, a flip chart and a, you know, a pen or a tactics board that you have. So you have to go around and create everything, buy everything, um, create that inventory. And then also to establish processes like in terms of, well, what times are, you know, our daily meeting? And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, are we having mornings? Are we having afternoons? And just there's no, there's nothing to work on. So, you know, that was, that was great and challenging at the same time. Just made me think when you were saying when you initially got into coaching, did you ever think that would be a part of the the role, though, those, those kinds of things? Or did you just see it as, as something on the grass? Yeah, I think it's um, it's a benefit and an opportunity to have a role where you have to think about every little detail in terms of how you want to create your daily routine, um, starting from scratch, like what's going to be the best for the performance of the players. So that was a real opportunity. But yeah, then figuring out, okay, we don't actually have a tactics board or anywhere for the players to put their you know their cleats or their boots you know just little some of the little details that we relied heavily on our operations team but a lot of that is driven by the technical staff in terms of what that looks like so yeah it was um yeah it was a very good partnership working to start and create all these things in the facility itself as well and you you um referenced it a little bit but I suppose now you've played your last game of of the season what's your analysis on how that first season measured up and and what next season's hopefully going to look like yeah, I think, you know, for us, we we had to come together as a group, I think, and bring all the individual players that have got very different backgrounds and experiences, some within the league, some not, some in professional soccer, some not, um, and be able to bring them together and, and put a product out on the field that we would be proud of. And I think that's something that we continue to develop. And one thing that we wanted to see was progress throughout the season. And, you know, I know that the group feels like we did make really great progress, in, certainly in the performances and the way in which we played and our style. So I think we were really pleased with with that. Uh, and I think it's sort of looking at some of our reflections. What's great is we know that we've got so much more to come and uh, so much more to give. So I think that that's a real um, excitement for next season is that we can really look to capitalize on what we've achieved this year um, and I see it as a great success in terms of our, our league placement and also the attendances the fact that the most of our season ticket holders have renewed for next year because they love the game experience I think all those elements are six, a measure of success for us um, but now it's about us turning that uh, final position into a, a playoff spot for next year. And you've said that the game experience a few times. What is it that makes the game experience so unique? I think for us, it's the number of fans that we have and then the activity of the fans, the noise, the volume. It's the noisiest ground in the league. Um, we have a fantastic stand full of supporters groups that are on their feet, banging drums, singing, bouncing, jumping throughout the whole duration of the game. And players come in and opposition coaches come in and you can't hear any information that's going on to the field. And that energy is um, really channeled into our players and our players feed off it. And it makes it a really magical atmosphere. And, you know, while I think our lowest attendances have, have been in the high, um, like, 18,000, 17,000 people is our lowest attendances. We've had several sellouts at 22,000. But, you know, it's not just 22,000 quiet people. It's the the atmosphere. It's electric and it, it makes it the best atmosphere to play at in the league. And, you know, we're very grateful that that's our home base. Does that present a communication challenge for you as a coach with all that noise? And how do you manage yeah. that? 
It, it definitely does. And it's something that um, we have found challenging throughout the duration. So we've come up with strategies and sometimes it's a good old pen and paper that you have to pass on to a player who's the nearest person or, you know, whether it's after a, a goal is scored that our captain comes over and, and chats to the bench and we get to pass on information. So we, we do have a few strategies um, up our sleeve in order to deal with that. But it certainly is challenging, you know, even for the goalkeeper to communicate with the back line on a corner if it's in a supporter's end you know we're bouncing and chanting the whole time so you know it's it's very hard for the players to even communicate on the field so I want to talk a bit about your defensive record and um, Angel City are only bettered by the the top three this season in terms of defensive record is that something that you prioritized from the start was it really fundamental part of building your team and your team style yeah I think a big part of the way I've established teams and created teams not just with Angel City but also in my past um, club was like the defensive record and being very hard to beat and hard to break down so looking at how and we protect the goal as a number one principle that we have. Um, whose roles and responsibilities in the different areas of the field um, have that responsibility um, and who's looking for coverage and how we defend in wide areas compared with central areas um, is going to be important for us. Um, so we, we pride ourselves on that. I think it was something that was important to us, but obviously we had a lot of injuries in our back line um, at the start of the season um, with key players. We had three players requiring surgery in the first week of pre-season, which was pretty incredible. Um, and many of those players didn't come back for, you know, anywhere between four to, well, we're still having players that are off the field from that. Um, so I think if we're looking at it, we, you know, we, adjusted really well we brought in um Megan Reed who was a player who came in as basically a walk-on in a trial in in the middle of pre-season who was a paramedic serving the year before and has played every minute of every game for us this season which is quite remarkable um after foregoing the draft and the opportunity to play pro, pro out of college um and her story is incredible if you get an opportunity to to read that story that has gone out in a lot of the press over here um so it was yeah it's important for us to, to be you know be hard to beat be hard to break down and, and to have that defensive record and I think a lot of that is the performance of our goalkeeper as well um if you look at the goals um expected against our team and then the goals actually conceded um she has the best record in the league and she's done a fantastic job um at being able to keep the ball out of the net in in those moments where you know a team should score Give us then, if you can, because there's a lot of coaches that will be listening to this, a, a bit more, um, I suppose, go a bit more in depth on those roles that you talked about and the the different defensive roles across the team and what you see as the fundamental principles for those players. Yeah, I think a big part, part for us is that centre-backs, you know, whose main job is defensively and, and to defend the goal, you know, it's important that they don't get pulled into wide areas in the defensive third. So making sure that they are front and present in, and within the width of the goal and protecting that space. Um, and then whether it's the midfielders then that get dragged into wide areas as cover, as opposed to whether it's the centre-back that leaves that area. Um, we try and keep our centre-backs home as much as possible. Um, we're looking at defending the cutback after the research that came out in the, in the Women's World Cup um, and the Men's World Cup around where most goals are scored um, in the dangerous areas of the field, like being able to defend that cutback ball um, 
is really important for us and we utilise our, our defensive midfielders in order to stop that from happening. And then I think a lot of it is about behaviours and the willingness of the team to get behind the uh, get behind the ball and their willingness to defend and put their body on the line. And I think that's about attitude and that's created in the practice environment and within the team culture. Um, and that's down to the players themselves. And that's where recruitment comes in in terms of those players that are willing to, to literally put their body on the line to be able to prevent a goal going in. Um, and that's really important for us as a group. On that point about attitude, I was going to kind of bring in um mentality and and confidence and I know you've got history in working on motivation and and leadership and how much for you do you think defending is is a mental battle as much as a physical one yeah I think it's having that willingness to defend and I think it's being proactive um and you know having that mental battle with the opponent you, you know you want them to feel like you've got the upper hand um so, you know that's what we want to do we don't want to ever give the the striker or the attacker the the moment to take the charge within the game so can we get in there from the get-go and set the tone um and I think for us it's you know we struggled with defending transition at the start of the year and then I think it's about being prepared and uh, making sure that we're organized enough to anticipate those transition moments within the game um, and be able to defend against transition especially in the NWSL and how much of your the course of your time in the game how much have you seen the role of the defender change I think it's changed massively you know I think you've got defenders if you're looking at the centre-backs now the demands that the game's placing on them to be able to utilise their feet in the same way that the, the goalkeeper is expected to be able to play out and, and be an extra player on the field um, within the back line to help us start the attack that's absolutely huge I think if we're looking at the role of the outside back now and how most outside backs you know in a lot of successful systems are basically forwards um, and they're required to attack in the final third and they're responsible for the quality of the delivery and you know at times getting in on that weak side and attacking the back post and scoring goals um, and you know we've seen it this year with our outside back with Ali Riley scoring two for us and one for New Zealand um, which is absolutely massive as well as having assists um, and we've had assists from you know our right side as well in Jasmine Spencer so you know there is that demand on them to be involved in both sides of the ball um, and I think that everyone has that responsibility now. And you mentioned as well that a lot of it, well, all of it starts really with what happens on the on the training ground. What does a good uh, defensive session look, look like to you? What are some of the principles you're working to? Yeah, I think it's about the clarity of the role and the different stages and moments of the game. I think that like defending is a lot clearer cut and a lot more sort of black and white than you know some of the attacking plays and the way you're looking more at demanding creativity. So I think it's about role clarity. Um, as I said, in, in different areas of the game, making sure that, you know, it's about that pressure on the ball, where we want to direct the opposition to, which areas are we willing to give up, which areas are non-negotiable that, you know, whether it's we're not getting played through in the, in the central channel in the defensive third, um, we're, you know, whether it's we're forcing the opponent out wide, whether it's higher up the field, we're forcing them into a central space where we have numbers. And then, you know, the basic principles that haven't changed for years in terms of getting pressure on the ball, getting cover, um, and then making sure we've got balance. But I think it's role clarity is the most important. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Euros. Obviously, you're um, English. You spent a lot of long time working with, at Reading. Um, I know you work with, with Frank Kirby. I think, what was it like for you to see the Lionesses do what they did 
this summer to see Fran involved in that and what has it meant for you and what do you think it means for for women's football in the UK? Yeah, I think it's incredible. I think we've already seen the impact that the success of the Lionesses have had on game attendance in the league as well, in the WSL um, this year. And I think it's incredible to see the sellout crowds and, you know, seeing the North London Derby as popular as it was recently is, is fantastic. So I think we're going to inspire generations for many years to come as a result of them being able to watch it on TV or attend a game in person, um, see the players having great success, seeing the media coverage that is positive and well-deserved from the players. Um, I think I think that's absolutely massive. And then also to see the sponsorship that's going to come, being able to play as a Lioness on FIFA, um, being able to play, you know, as your favourite player, on you know on a computer game and to just have that integrated as part of your everyday life and having the the media coverage increase as a result of the success of the team those are all the important things um that has it has to be integrated into life so that we can continue to have more players that are in the sport but also how football then becomes a real profession for everyone that can have a successful career and it's whether it's a member of the support staff whether it's in coaching whether it's as a press officer a player care officer a sports psychologist i think you know when the when the game increases in popularity the attendances come and the money comes then we can actually continue to have that investment in the game and obviously there's a massive impact on the on the grassroots game as well and making sure we you know we set those foundations for for girls you you referenced before as well you know fundamentals of defending that run through run through all the levels what do you think any grassroots coaches listening to this might be able to learn from watching the elite game watching elite players watching elite coaches like yourself what things are transferable across all the levels yeah i think you know what's going to inspire players to get to that level is they've got to be motivated and they've got to enjoy it and i think at grassroots level it's got to be a fun and challenging session for the players within it. Um, there has to be something that, you know, it's the most difficult part, especially when you get a lot of variability between the top player and the bottom player in a, in a grassroots environment. But I think if you can find a way to challenge all of the players within that session, it's really important and just make sure that there's a love of the game and you're fostering that love of the game because ultimately it's, you know, if you speak to some players that have made it to the top level and are winning you know, at the highest level, they can go back to the moments when they fell in love with the game. And a lot of the time that's down to their grassroots coach. It's down to the grassroots environment. It's down to, you know, a great high school team that they've played for or a great college environment. Um, and then that's given them the love to be able to persevere through the face of adversity and the challenge of making it up, you know, up the ladder and, and having a pro career and making it to the top. So I think that that's, important is is to find that intrinsic motivation from the game and a way of challenging yourself and you know that's going to be important I think as well you know as much as the lionesses are an inspiration I think coaches like yourself are massive inspirations to grassroots coaches or coaches just starting out and I know you've spoken about your journey and how you never kind of saw it going where it's got to what would you be saying to coaches maybe listening to this or what's your advice for coaches wanting to to progress in the game 
I think the biggest thing is just put yourself in situations where you can learn, um, try and speak to other coaches, try and talk about the game as much as you can. Um, I think it's going in to observe environments, whether, you know, if it's the pro route that you want to go into, can you put yourself in an environment where you can learn? Um, can you go and volunteer and give up some hours to go and observe that pro environment and what it takes and then take the things that you've learned into your environment practice? Um, and I think it's also like, don't wait till you're ready because you're never ready. I think you've just got to get yourself out there um, and challenge yourself and be willing to fail. But as long as you're reflecting on things that haven't gone so well, like putting yourself in a position where you can fix those things and you're continually getting better, that's all we, that everyone can ask for them of themselves. Okay, so final question then, Freya. What is the biggest thing you've learned about yourself on your coaching journey? That's a great question. Um I think there's so much in terms of things that I'd like to to like to be better at, things I'd like to change. Um, I think I can reflect fairly well um, in terms of myself and my own strengths and weaknesses. I'm, I think I'm quite aware um, of my shortcomings and where I need to be better. Um, and I think that that drives me because I, I consistently want to make those better and and to keep pushing on so I think sort of self-awareness is is big. That was Freya Coombe, head coach of Angel City FC. Thanks to Freya for her time and thoughts. Don't forget the October issue of Women's Soccer Coaching is available now to subscribers. Visit womensoccercoaching.com to subscribe. I'm Steph Verben. Thanks again for listening to the Women's Soccer Coaching Podcast.